Hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Doing good? Good, good. Good to see you here. Thanks for coming out. If you're new, if you're a guest, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just delighted uh, to have you. And many years ago, you know, it was almost 19 years ago, I had the privilege of serving on the launch team that started uh, River Glen. And I took some time this week to just kind of pause and think back about how God has, uh, you know, used River Glen uh, to make a difference in the lives of people in Waukesha and uh, Milwaukee and uh, uh, beyond. And uh, one of the great privileges uh, that I've had is I've been able to sit on the, you know, kind of front row and watch hundreds, uh, even thousands of people find their way back to God. You know, for some people, finding their way back to God was kind of quick and dramatic. For other people, it took uh, many steps over the course of weeks, months, or years. Some people, you know, for some people, they strayed for a while, and then, then they found their way back. But uh, really, it's just been a miracle, you know, to see so many people find their way uh, back to God. The last three years since we've been in this room, since Easter of 2013, we have, we have baptized over 380 people. And it's just been amazing to see what God's done. Yeah, let's give God a hand for that. Um, people of all ages and, you know, all kinds of uh, uh, backgrounds. And uh, many of those people have been you. A few years ago, my, my family and I, we took a vacation to uh, Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. Anybody ever vacation in, in Myrtle Beach? Um, yeah, a few of you. You know, uh, I'm not much of a beach person, um, but it was, it was so hot and so humid that week that we spent like all our time at the beach. And we, uh, we, we had our same routine every day that we followed. We'd get up and we'd, you know, walk over to the beach. And, uh, you know, you know how it is when you go to the beach. You pick your spot and you put your stuff down, your... You know, your towels and your sunscreen and your sunglasses and your book and your cooler, you know, with all your stuff. You, you, you put your stuff down, uh, not too close to other people, but not too far because part of the fun is being around people. And so you set up camp right there on the shore and you go out in the water, right? But let me ask you, you know, have you ever, you know, you've been in the water, you're swimming, you're splashing, you're, you know, boogie boarding, body surfing, whatever you do, and then you look back at the shore and for the life of you, you can't see the place, you know, where you put all your stuff down. And you have this moment of panic where you go, oh, no, somebody stole all our stuff. You know, where's our stuff? You ever had that happen? And then you realize, you know, while you've been in the water, you've drifted down the beach, okay, from where you put down your stuff. It happens quickly in the ocean because there's an undercurrent, but it can happen anywhere, and you drift much further than you thought. And you know what? That's how it is with God. That's how we drift from God. Slowly, imperceptibly, gradually, with this undercurrent, we drift further and further from him. I mean, we don't, do, we don't mean to do that, okay? We're just going off to, to school. We're just going off to college. We're just beginning a new job. We're learning some new skills. We're just, you know, working on our golf game. We're just doing our athletic uh, pursuits. And then all of a sudden you look up and you say, I don't even know where I am. And how did I get here? And there's this distance between you and, and, and God. You know, that's why, according to research, 92% of us say that we believe in God, but many of us feel disconnected and distant from him. Some of us even have this feeling that maybe we've gone too far and God's written us off. And that's why I want you to see this amazing promise that God makes to us. It's found in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. God says, you seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God says, I can be found. You can find your way back to me. In the New Testament, James puts it this way. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise 
that you can count on. You see, everybody's a spiritual being. You know, whether we admit it or not, sometimes we don't, you know, like to deal with that. So we just kind of compartmentalize that part of our life over here so that we don't have to deal with spiritual things. But God made you a spiritual being so that you will never, you know, find your meaning in life, your purpose in life, your connection in life apart from a relationship with him, apart from finding your way back to him. But we live in this fallen and broken world and we're part of the problem and we just drift and we get further and further away from him down the beach. You know, it's the kid who grew up in the Christian home and and they know the verses from the children's ministry. And, And then, you know, Uh, Maybe they go off to college and they're just totally unprepared for what greets them. Maybe they have a roommate who's an atheist or maybe it's a really smart professor who starts to raise some questions about the integrity of the Bible and they conclude, you know what, maybe only intellectual lightweights believe that God is there and cares. Or maybe it's a different reason. Maybe you lost a loved one and you feel like God has forgotten you. Maybe you've, maybe you've done some really bad things and you feel like God must be disgusted with you. Or maybe you're, maybe you're the child of divorce and you've never really overcome that trauma. Or maybe you grew up uh, going to church. But for you, you know, church was just filled with you know, rituals and, and ceremonies and formalities. And you went through the motions, but it never really connected deeply with your heart and your soul. Or you know what, maybe you... Maybe you felt abused or neglected or hurt by somebody that you trusted. Maybe you prayed to God for help and and, and you feel like he didn't. I mean, there's a million reasons why we can get caught in the undercurrent that pulls us further and further away from God. You know, all of us, in one way or another, our lives reflect this verse from Isaiah 53. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And it's just who we are. And yet we all have inner longings deep in our soul, to find our way back to God, to connect with our creator, and to find the best version of ourselves, the version that God had in mind when he created you. But for that to happen, you know what? There's got to be an awakening. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about five awakenings each one of us needs to experience. Five awakenings that we pretty much see in the life of every person that finds their way back to God. Some of you say, I don't think that can happen for me. Or maybe others of you are thinking, hey, Ben, I think it's great. You know, you're talking about this. I appreciate it. But you know what? I've already found God in in, in my life. Listen, it doesn't matter. I don't care who you are. An awakening is needed. That's what I've concluded in my own life. I mean, I need an awakening. I need a jolt. I need a kick in the backside every once in a while, spiritually speaking. And the first awakening we're going to talk about in this series is an awakening to longing. Because deep inside of us, there, there's a sense in each one of us that there's gotta be something more to life. In fact, this longing is so universal, it shows up in the songs that we sing, in the stories that we uh, write, and the art that we create. In fact, just to prove this point and have a little fun, we're gonna play some songs. We've got some videos of some songs. They're real short clips, okay? And I think you'll recognize them. And when the video stops, right, when the song stops, I want you to sing the rest of the line of the song, together to sing the, the, the rest of the line of the song, all right? Okay, so I need your help with this. This is audience participation time. You guys with me on this? Good, don't leave me hanging, all right? Okay, all right, here's the first one. This is from you too.
awesome. You guys sound really good. Good job. Let's do another one. This is the Rolling Stones. Oh, wow. You guys sound like a choir. We could. All right. One more. This is a different genre. All right. We're going to go country on this one. We're going to go way back. Oh, yeah. I think you could do the whole thing. We could cancel church and just do karaoke today. What do you think? But, you know, each one of those songs expresses that longing inside of us that there's got to be more coming in my life. I'm not getting satisfaction. I'm not finding what I'm looking for. And throughout this series, we're going to hear stories from various people. And the first one that we're going to hear is from a, a, a woman in our church named Kim. Kim is one of our small group leaders. And I want you to hear her story. And I want you to listen for the longing, okay? And I also want you to think about your own story. Take a look. I'm Kimberly Krieger, and I've been attending River Glen for about four years, and this is my story of finding my way back to God. As far back as I can remember, I was uh, saved. I was a Christian. I asked Jesus into my heart um, so young, I really don't remember, and to be honest, I asked him multiple times just to make sure it stuck. I experienced God um, in a real way, in a powerful way. I felt his touch in my life by the time I was 10. And shortly after that, my parents' divorce was final. And that was a real turning point for my family. My mom really struggled with her faith after that because she um, really believed that God would bring my dad home. And when he didn't come home, it shook the foundations of her faith. And when her foundations were shaken, so were mine. And so I became really kind of, a, I'll say now, a typical angry teen. My family fell apart. Uh, my life as I knew it was no longer the same, and my mom struggled to make ends meet with two jobs, whereas she used to be a stay-at-home mom. I didn't see my dad, and I think um, feeling abandoned by both of them just made me mad. And um, that anger led me to do a lot of self-sabotaging things. I ended up using drugs and alcohol. I got pregnant at 16. Um, my grades went from, you know, three point six, seven or eight, down to a 1.6. I just struggled with every area of my life. I ended up in a really destructive relationship with a boy as a teen and um, didn't tell anybody I was being abused. And I would really consider those my darkest days because I didn't have the hope of Jesus Christ during those days. And I think like most people, when you know that you are um, in sin or living the wrong kind of life, you run from God. All right, we're going to hit the pause button right there. Did you hear the longing in her story? Kim felt dissatisfied, and she drifted all the way to a dark place that she never thought she would be. And uh, maybe your story is similar to Kim's, or maybe your story is different from hers. But you know what? All of us have a story of unfulfilled longing, a time in your life when you find yourself thinking, there's got to be more than this coming in my life. And one of the ways that Jesus helps us and, and comes alongside of us to help us find our way back to God is by telling us a story. And uh, we're going to take a look. It's probably the most famous story Jesus ever told. And it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 15 of the New Testament. And it's a great story because it gives us a picture of God and it helps us to see ourselves. It's a story of a man with two sons. And the uh, younger son says to himself, this is it. 
There's got to be more to this, more than this. And he has this longing, this, this dissatisfaction rises up inside of him, and he decides to try and fulfill it. But instead of turning toward home, instead of turning toward his family, instead of assuming that it can be found at home, he heads out to a distant country, which is something that we all tend to do because we have this tendency to think, you know, fulfillment's out there. Fulfillment is in the elusive uh, beyond. And you know what? This is also where I think we tend to get it wrong sometimes in church and in, in religion. And here's what I mean. The problem is not the longing. The problem is not the desire. God put that longing in our heart. That longing is good. That longing can help us find our way back to God. But here's the problem. Like the younger son, we try to fulfill our longings on our own, apart from God. And so the younger son, he heads off to the distant country. And maybe you can see yourself in this story. Jesus begins in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. That's a pretty brash and bold statement to make to a parent. I want you to remember something as we go through this story. Back in first century Middle Eastern culture, honor was a huge deal. And the father possessed all of it, and the job of the son was to honor his father and his mother, and one of the ways that you would do that is by taking care of them uh, into their old age, and then you would inherit the farm or the business that your parents worked hard to pass on to you, but instead the son does something hugely insulting and offensive, and he says to his father, I want my inheritance now, which is like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, because when you're dead, I get the inheritance, and I want it, now. So basically the son says, dad, I don't care about you. I don't care about this family. I don't like these people. I don't like this routine. And I want my share of the estate now. I wish you were dead. And amazingly, the father does it. But before you write off this son as brash, rude, a jerk, and, and bash him like that, can we just pause for a moment and be honest enough to admit that he is expressing something, okay, that all of us have felt, that there's got to be more uh, to my life. I'm not getting satisfaction. I'm not finding what I'm looking for. In this story, the, the, the younger son searches for three longings that all of us have. And here's the first one that he searches for, and that is purpose. Would you say that out loud with me? Purpose, yeah. We're all longing and searching for a purpose. Let me ask you a question. When you were like five or six years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? What was your dream? Maybe it was to be an astronaut or a police officer or firefighter or pro football player or pastor or whatever it was, okay? Let me ask you a follow-up question. Why were you even thinking about that when you were five? you know, or six. I mean, did you have bills to pay? You know, I better be thinking about a job. I got some bills to pay. When I was five or six, I was focused on, you know, learning how to tie my shoes or learning the alphabet. But all of us start thinking about that because we've got this natural desire within us that we don't want to just take up space. We don't want to just suck air. We want to make a contribution. We want to make a difference. Why did God, we want to know, why did God put me on this planet? That's why we dream as kids, because God gave us this longing for purpose. Now, the younger son in the story, he allowed that purpose to lead him in a bad direction, to a distant country. And sometimes we do that. You know, there's different ways we can go with these longings. But this longing for purpose is a desire God put in all our hearts to lead us back to him. All right, here's a second longing we all have, and it's a longing 
for love. Say that with me, ready? Love, yeah. I came across the record for most marriages. This is from the Guinness Book. The record for the most marriages in the United States is, is by a guy named Glenn Wolf. Anybody wanna guess how many times Glenn Wolf has been married? Anybody wanna guess how many times he got married? 29 times. Yeah, seriously, 29 times. And uh, the longest one was seven years, and the shortest one uh, was just 19 days. Yeah, and then this next part is, is the part that kind of cracks me up. Uh, guess what his occupation was? Uh, no, not, not a marriage counselor. <laughs> Close. He was a Baptist minister. Yeah, okay. But here's the question I want to ask you about Glenn Wolf. Why didn't he stop after the fourth marriage? Okay, why didn't he stop after the 24th marriage? You know, why did he keep trying? And why do we keep trying? I mean, relationships are hard. We get hurt. We get dumped. We even have, you know, divorces. And yet we still long for love. Here's why. It's because God put a desire in our heart to love and be loved in return. That was certainly true for the younger son in the story. The story continues in in verse 13. And it says, uh, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country because he thinks the grass is going to be greener over there. And there squandered his wealth, look at this, in wild living. Yeah, this is like a night at Mardi Gras, you know, in New Orleans, or a night on the Strip in Las Vegas, all right? I mean, this is like all-night parties, right? All the girls, you know, that he wants, you know, all the alcohol and drugs, flowing uh, freely, uh, whatever he wants. In, in fact, if you read later on in the story, the older brother tells us that what the younger son really squandered his money on was prostitutes. Why? You know, because we all have this desire for love, to find someone I can feel close to, to find someone who will accept me, a longing for love. Somebody said that anybody that's ever knocked on the door of a house of prostitution is searching for God. And so, you know, whether it's a house of prostitution or, you know, whether it's a bar on a Friday night and, you know, hooking up with somebody there, all of us have this longing for love, a love, a longing that God put there that only he can satisfy. Well, then there's this crazy turn of events, this famine hits, he squanders, you know, he had squandered all his wealth and he's broke and he ends up taking a job that a kosher Jewish boy would never want to take. He goes to work on a pig farm, you know, feeding pigs, shoveling their poop, and he gets so desperate, it says the food the pigs ate started to look good to him. That's how hungry he was. I mean, this guy is at rock bottom. And he discovers a third longing that all of us have, and, that's, and that is meaning. Would you say that with me? Meaning. Meaning answers the why questions about life. And this kid, he had a lot of questions because his longing for purpose, it wasn't fulfilled the way he thought it would be. And his longing for love surely wasn't met by knocking on the doors of the high-priced call girls. And his longing for meaning wasn't met by, you know, feeding the pigs and hungering for what they ate. And when things go badly, that's when we tend to ask lots of, of, of questions. Questions like, God, if you're there, why are you allowing this pain and suffering in my life? You know, what, what is the purpose of this? Why is this happening to me? Why do I always feel like life is just ripping me off? And very often during pain and suffering, we start asking the right questions about God. And even if there is something inside of you that is, 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 is saying this isn't right, 
This isn't fair. This isn't the way that it should be. You know what? That impulse that you have about those things, God put that in you. God wired that in you, that sense that there shouldn't be pain and breakups and divorce and death and job loss and frustration and difficulty. In that moment, when you question God about those things, okay, you're leaning into a God who says, I agree with you. Not a God who laughs at you and looks from a distance and says, oh, you're having a hard time down there. But a God who says, I will enter your world. I will enter your pain. I will enter your suffering. I will walk among you. I will go to a cross. I will bleed for you so that I can ultimately put the world back together again. And that's what God's doing right now. And I found in my life, maybe you found this to be true in your life, that pain and difficulty and suffering are some of the greatest tools God uses to get me to look in his direction. You know, it's not the easy times, it's the hard times when I look his way. Now, I don't know your story. I don't know, you know, what you're longing for as you search for love and purpose and meaning. But here's what is important for us to understand. You'll never find fulfillment of, of those longings in the distant country. You will only find satisfaction of those longings when you find your way back to God. And Jesus wants to help us find our way. Jesus is the one who provides us with a sense of purpose so that we can get up in the morning, every morning, with excitement. Jesus provides us with everlasting love. Human love is finite and disappointing. His love will never let you down. And Jesus will help you understand the deeper meaning of life. I love what Anne Lamont wrote. She says, if we stay where we are, where we're stuck, where we're comfortable and safe, we die there. We become like mushrooms living in the dark with poop up to our chins. If you want to know only what you already know, you're dying. You're saying, leave me alone. I don't mind this little rat hole. It's warm and dry. Really, it's fine. When nothing new can get in, that's death. When oxygen can't find a way in, you die. And sometimes, you know, what you need is just an awakening to who you really are. I know many of you have already picked up the book about the five awakenings, finding your way back to God by uh, John and, and Dave Ferguson. It's really a, a, a very insightful and helpful a book. And uh, in the book, John and Dave recount a story about, from about 13 years ago. Maybe some of you remember this story in the news when Ed Smart stepped out of the front door of his house in front of a horde of uh, reporters and cameras and uh, he made a statement to the captors who took his, his daughter, Elizabeth. He started out, he said, he said, Elizabeth, if you're out there, I want you to know that we love you and we're doing everything we can to help you and to bring you back home. And then he choked back tears and he spoke to the captors and he said, please, please let her go. But for the next nine months, Elizabeth Smart lived under the oppression of these uh, captors and they made her wear a wig, they made her dress in costumes and and disguises. Sometimes she came really close to her home in Salt Lake City, but nobody recognized her. Police and experts believe what happened is something that's called the Stockholm Syndrome, where you drift further and further away from home until you, you actually identify with the people that you're, you're with, and you sympathize with them, and they control you. And she got to the point where she no longer identified with the smarts as her family and their home as her true home, and she was so lost, she didn't even know she was lost. And that can happen to us spiritually. We're so lost, we don't even know it. And then one day, nine months later, a police officer spotted 
a familiar face of a young woman standing on the street corner, and he asked her some questions until finally she blurted out, I know you think I'm Elizabeth Smart, but I'm not. And then he asked her about the wig, and she said it was her real hair. He, he asked her about the couple she was with. She said they were her parents, even though they were her kidnappers. She was lost, so, but so close to home, so close to being found. And then the officer looked her in the eye, and he said, Elizabeth, I know who you are. And you have a family that loves you, and they're waiting for you to come home. And I'm going to take you home. And then he showed her a picture of herself from a missing person's bulletin. And that was her moment of truth. She realized who she was and how far she had drifted. And tears came into her eye. And for the first time, she longed to go home. It was an awakening for her. And she did go home. And I'm praying that's going to happen to each of us in the next, uh, next few weeks. There's a, there's a third and fourth century theologian named Augustine who said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And, and that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to look at the restless parts of our lives. The, we're going we're to pay attention to the restless parts. And we're going to find our way home to a God who calls us there. And so I hope you'll, I hope you'll pick up the book and I hope you'll read it. And I really hope you'll be here each weekend of, of this series and bring somebody with you. Buy them a book if you, if you can and get together with some of your friends and, and talk about what you're uh, learning. If you're, if you're in a small group, I, I, hope, you'll, I hope you'll hit pause and, and, and focus your attention on, on this uh, subject for a few weeks. If you're not in a group, this is an awesome time to join a small group. If you'd like to start a group, We'll help you. Talk to Brandon, talk to John, and they'll give you the resources. This is legal. We'll give you the resources. And uh, you, you can go ahead and start your own group. And let's pray for each other to find our way back to God for the first time or the next time. I want you to take a look at the rest of Kim's story. Take a look at the screens. I didn't have the hope of Jesus Christ during those days. Since my teen years, I've had worse trials and tribulations, but I had the hope of Jesus because I've been walking with him as an adult and um, you know but this is about my journey back to him and what really brought me back to God was having that baby and all of a sudden it sunk in my head um, I was raised with Bible stories and am I gonna raise my son with Bible stories or you know parties and drugs but the desperation in my heart to be a mom to my son that he needed to be the woman I wanted to be caused me to run to him and so I began to pray my most profound and spiritual prayer and it was this help me Lord that was all I could really muster and it was my prayer for about three years from the time I was 18 until I was 21 and um, I'm here to say God loves that prayer and he answers that prayer. He's not looking for some um, spiritual you know, recitation. He just wants your heart. And I knew that the life I wanted to live, I wasn't able to live at that time, but I knew he could help me live it. And at 21 years old, I recommitted my life to him. I was baptized and I have been walking with the Lord ever since. Um, to the person who isn't sure right now if they should make their way back to God, or uh, maybe if God would accept them, or what God would do with the mess they've made. I would like to say, I can tell you from my own life, I can promise you that He will not waste one moment 
of the time you spent away from him. No matter what you've done or where you are or how deep your pit, run to God, not from him. You will not regret it. And he's not waiting there to hit you over the head and tell you everything you did wrong. You know and he knows. He's waiting there to show you mercy and to give you the power to overcome the things that are keeping you in that pit. He will use that not only in your life to mold you and shape you into his image, but to touch and reach other people. And I believe with all my heart that God has a, an amazing, profound purpose for your life. And he will weave your time away from him together with your time journeying with him in order to make an impact on other people's hearts and minds and lives. I encourage you today, make your way back to God and make an impact in this world. Yeah, I love the way Kim says, whatever you've done, don't run from God, run to God. And God will show you mercy. And God will begin to satisfy those longings of love and meaning and purpose. And did you notice that Kim also mentioned prayer, that prayer helped her find her way uh, back to God. Prayer is a great tool for drawing near to God, and like Scripture says, God draws near to us. And so I, I've got a little prayer challenge for you. It actually comes from the back of the, of the book. There's a section there. It's a 30-day uh, prayer challenge, a 30-day wager, and there's even a section there for uh, journaling over those third days. And this is a real simple uh, prayer. It's based on Pascal's wager where you step into faith in God, okay, and you see if God doesn't change uh, your life. Let's take a look at this prayer. It's real simple. Anybody can pray this. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Would you say that with me? God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. What if we just prayed that for the next 30 days? No matter where you are spiritually, if you already know God, pray, God, make yourself more real to me. I challenge you, let's pray that prayer with honesty and passion, and let's see what God does. You know what? you got nothing to lose and everything to gain. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And then maybe you notice that Kim uh, mentioned her baptism. In baptism, we express our decision that, God, I'm coming home. I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, anytime we begin a new chapter in our life, we tend to uh, have a ceremony to uh, affirm that, okay? Whether it's a birthday party or a graduation party or a, a wedding ceremony. And when somebody makes the decision that, God, I'm coming home, I'm gonna follow Jesus, their next step is a celebration ceremony called uh, baptism. And in three weeks, we're gonna have, we're gonna celebrate baptisms. We're gonna have baptisms in our weekend uh, services, and we'd love to include you. If you, wanna, if you wanna sign up or if you have questions, there's a card in your program. You can just fill that out, put that in the offering bag a little bit later on. Or you can stop by the resource center, the information center, and uh, we have people that would love to talk with you and uh, help you. And then every weekend, we pause to remember and celebrate finding your way back, finding our way back to God by sharing communion. Communion reminds us that Jesus, I mean, he just knocked down every barrier. And he opened a door for us into God's house by going to the cross and dying as a sacrifice uh, for our, our, our sins so that every one of us can find our way back home now and uh, forever. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to pass communion. The bread represents the body. The juice represents the blood of, of Jesus, and our communion is open to anyone who, who follows him. Let me pray for us.
God, I pray that you will make yourself real to us in the coming days in ways that we haven't anticipated. I pray that you'll move among us, that you will meet us and find us and draw us close to you so that we don't have to just search endlessly for meaning and love and purpose. God, we're ready to take this journey, and I pray that you would bring an awakening among us so that all of us can find our way home in you. And I ask all these prayers in the name of the one who, who made a way for us by, by coming and living among us, living a sinless life, though tempted in every way that we are. And then he died a criminal's death, even though he was innocent, and he made a payment for us. And after he was buried three days later, he walked out of the tomb, and now he's alive and by your side right now. I pray in his name, in the name of Jesus, that we would all find this awakening and find our way back to our true home in you. Amen.